During this Lenten season, we've been listening to the Gospels taken from John during this cycle A. And more than all the other Gospel writers, John focuses on Jesus' relationship with God and our relationship with Jesus. These relationships are often described as a divine flow. And as much as God's love and graces flow freely to the Son and through the Son to each of us. God's love is often described as this flowing movement that's never restricted, never turned off. Nothing we say or do changes the love that is poured out upon us by God. It's unmerited in every sense, freely given to all. Our relationship with God is not one of transactions needed to acquire. Rather, it's participation in something that we're already part of. See, the only thing we have to do is be willing to accept and trust and share in the flow of that love. You know, so during Lent, we've been examining our lives to see what blocks that flow. In other words, to examine our personal garbage, thus shifting through our hurts and wounds and addictions that we can be present and aware and participating in that ever-present flow. See, in the past few weeks, the Gospels have carried the strong baptismal themes of God's flowing love. Two weeks ago, we heard the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, yielding the theme of living waters. Last week, it was the story of Christ healing the blind man whose eyes were opened to God's ever-present love. And today's gospel, only found in John, gives a deeper reflection on the fully human and fully divine side of Jesus Christ in his relationship with the community. See, for this story provides us some of the most human dialogue and emotions between Jesus and his followers. So allow me to highlight three key scenes that lead us to an ending which is often missed and which carries truly the good news for today. See, first we hear insight into the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. When Jesus tells them that they have to head back to Judea, picture yourself in that scene. Do you hear the human amazement and frustration in the voices of the disciples? You want to go back to Judea? Are you crazy? Isn't that where they nearly stoned you to death? The disciples have no interest in going back to Judea. Lazarus is dead. The Jews want to stone Christ, and he wants to go back. Why bother? Jesus, rather than yielding to their wishes, is really persistent and tells them that they all have to come along. He wants them to stay together. He wants his community to move with him. And so it, it's Thomas, the one who will later doubt him, who speaks up with faith, but filled with some sarcasm and humor, when he, when he relents and agrees that they should all go with him and perhaps die. The second key relational scene is when Jesus meets Martha. Now you remember Martha. In an earlier story, she was the in-your-face woman who complained that she was doing all the work. And her sister Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. So there's no doubt that she was the one who came flying out of her home to the outskirts of town to meet Jesus face to face with what may have sounded something more like, 
Where the heck have you been? If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Can you feel her pain? Can you feel his pain? Can you imagine what the encounter looked like and sounded like? Jesus, full of compassion and sorrow, calmly replies that her brother will rise again. Martha, missing that point, says, yeah, yeah, I, I know he will rise on the resurrection on the last day. You can tell that she spent a great deal of time with Jesus. She knows his mission. She knew about this unearned love that flows through to her. But Jesus responds with a line that is really a summary of the entire Gospel of John. He says, I am the resurrection. And whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. When Christ asks Martha if she believes with incredible faith and love of Christ, she says she does. See, this, this sets the stage for the climax of the story. See, indeed, with this incredible miracle, Christ gives glory to his Father and demonstrates for all that he and the Father are truly one. And while this is somewhat obvious for us today, it was really a new concept for that community that was gathered around him. But there's much more to this gospel. For the significance of the gospel is what takes place surrounding the miracle of Lazarus coming back to life. Jesus stands before the tomb of Lazarus, filled with the stench of death. The tomb that represents the part of us that we're called to scrutinize, to shift through, to examine. The tomb which symbolizes the deadness, the coldness, and the hardships in each of our own lives, which at times seems and feels like death. But before his miracle, look at what Christ does. He first invites all those there, including the disciples, who whined about coming with him, to roll away the stone. Jesus then calls forth Lazarus from the dead, requiring Lazarus to take the first step. And then Christ invites the entire community to participate by untying Lazarus from the cloths that still bound him to this earth. Clearly, Jesus could have done all that himself. But he invited all of them, just as he invites all of us, to join him in this miracle of giving life and love to others, to foster a continuation of this flow. But like Lazarus, it's each of us who need to take the first step. See, for me, this is the heart of the Lazarus story. That is, the Lord God alone gives life, yet God also deeply desires us to participate. The risen Lord cannot work miracles unless a community of believers is willing to take that first step, is willing to share in the work of rolling away the stones that oppress us, is willing to untie each other from the bonds that we have to our darkness, is willing to surrender to the flow of God's love, and is willing to walk with each other even during the times we rather not bother. Christ knew his own death was fast approaching. Soon, the community would be without him. And so he gave meaning to all those present of how and why they needed to gather together. While not using the term church, 
His message of community was clear. Relationship with Christ is more than a Christ and me relationship. A relationship with Christ must include everyone else. That's why we're here. That's why we come to church. For it's all about participation. That's what Christ was demonstrating to his followers in the gospel. It's about being present to others. It's about being part of the community that unties the bonds that holds us to our addictions and rolls away the stones for each other so we are freed from the stench of our human tombs and so that the grace of God can flow through you, so that the light of Christ can shine from you, so that the movement of the Spirit resting in you will bring forth with every breath you breathe. This is the true meaning of community. This is what church should be about. This is why we gather every Sunday in our parish to be church to and with each other. Community calls us to put aside selfish goals and private interests and our egos, or what Paul refers to in the second reading as flesh. Calls for each person to respond to the needs of others. The name Lazarus means God helps us, and indeed God does. But it doesn't stop there. For we need to remember that what we do each day, all our actions, all our interactions are part of God's plan. God deeply desires us to wash in the flow of God's great love through our active participation so that together we can live a life that is with Christ, in Christ, and through Christ, now and forever.